Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, but not if we're stressed out and exhausted. Looking at food, lifestyle, spirituality, and work, the Plan Simple Podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier and happier future. Listen in for inspirational conversations and valuable strategies to plan for your best life. It's Mia here. Welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. If you are new here, welcome. I'm so excited that you are part of this community. If you've been tuning in for a while, welcome back. I love that you're still tuning in. I am so excited to have Rachel Martin on the show today. And it's really funny because when we were chatting pre-recording, she reflected that it was so great that I was running a motherhood episode during my parenting sequence. And it took me a little bit off guard. I've been pondering that comment ever since because a week ago, the words really to me meant very similar things. And she really hit for me that motherhood is different. Step-parents, moms, dad, grandparents, and in some cases, relatives, they all have to take on the role of parenting, of parent. But mother is unique. And this episode really does capture so beautifully what it is to be mother. I'm so excited for you to officially meet Rachel. But before I officially introduce her, I do have a few announcements. Number one, I am hosting a giveaway that's related to this episode this weekend on Saturday. It will be going all weekend, and it includes Rachel's book, which is amazing, a year's worth of flow planners, so that's four of them, and a planning session with me to get clear on your motherhood goals. Is that exciting? I'm so, so excited. So... The way to enter that is over on Instagram. Just look for a picture of Rachel's book that has Rachel's book in it, and you will have the directions of what you need to do to enter that, and we will announce the winners right there on Instagram Sunday evening. And if you missed this, I'm so sorry, but come over and check out everything anyway over on Instagram. Okay, number two, applications are open for two more weeks. So get over there and fill yours out if Flow 365 is something that you have been pondering, but you haven't finished that application. And just in case you have no idea what I'm talking about, Flow 365 is really where you want to be if you have big goals around food, around work, parenting, relationships, self-care, and work, all while you're doing this thing called motherhood, but you feel way more overwhelmed than productive on a daily basis. This is really about the accountability you need to move through days with grace and grit and ease, and we have so much fun together. It's less about learning new content and more about figuring out how to actually do the content, do the things that you've been wanting to do for a long time. Now, there is an application process, and that is not because it is a million dollars. In fact, it's pretty reasonable. It is because I really want to make sure it's a great fit. The current cohort has become really close, and it's really important to me that the groups that I create really can support each other. 
So that is what that is all about. And I totally trust the process and that that's what ends up happening. But the application process really helps me with that. And then, of course, part of the process is hopping on the phone and having a conversation and creating a little mini plan before we even decide if it's a good fit. And that application helps me to be really proactive with you on that call. Okay. So the last and final announcement is something I'm so excited about. That's why I saved it to last. I created a class. It is so cool. I'm so excited about it. I'm so proud of it. I've been working really hard. I really took in everything that I've been hearing from people in the current cohort of Flow 365, from anyone who's given me feedback as they go through their flow planners, um, and just over the years of working with lots of moms and understanding what the planning process is like, and of course, very much from my own experience, because the planning process is really what has helped me. It helped me to lose the weight, the 85 pounds however many years ago that was now, I guess it was over 10 years ago now, it really helped me to figure out how not to be overwhelmed when my daughter was diagnosed with many different foods she couldn't eat and I was not yet a cook and that felt really overwhelming, but very quickly I was able to make a plan. It later helped me to write a book, then take my kids out of school for a year, my three kids out of school for a year and travel the country while I went on a book tour and homeschooled them. So this process really is powerful. And it also has helped me with things like how to make sure I drink eight glasses of water a day. And you know, right now I'm working on money practices and I'm wor- working on how to show up on Instagram. And it's all an imperfect process, work in progress, but this process of planning has really helped me to show up to my own life, to the life that I am dreaming and creating for myself. And I just want to pass that on to as many people as possible. So I've created the course. I've updated all of our planning sheets to really reflect what all these, what everyone's been saying they want a little bit different from the flow planner. And it's so good. I'm so excited. And I'm so excited that it is going to be a course that I charge for, but until April 10th, I want you to have it. So this is what you would do to get it. You need to go to plansimple.com slash masterclass. And at that point, you will be prompted to create an account in our course software and you're going to do that. You're going to enter your name and your email and your password, I think, and your username so that you have an account that you can log into to see this course. And once you do that, you're going to press submit and you're going to be prompted at that point to pay $97, which is how much the course we will be charging for the course after April 10th. And instead of paying $97, what you're going to do is you're going to put in the coupon code SPRINGFLOW, and that is going to map make the amount you owe zero. And then that's just going to let you into the course. Okay. And if that was like way too much to follow, don't worry about it. This is what you would do. You would just go to plansimple.com and you will look at our homepage and you will hang out there for a couple of seconds until a pop-up pops up. And that pop-up, if you put your name and email into it, will then redirect you to those exact directions that I just told you and you'll be set to go as well. So that's probably an easier thing, but either way is a go. One gets you there a little bit faster than the other. 
Um, and I'm so excited for you to go through this content and to hear what you think. I would love emails back. I would love to hear about your ahas, your struggles, what little things you notice after you start going through it. Um, it drips out to you over the course of a week, and it's really something that you could spend a week or two or three doing. You could spread it out over the course of a year, but however you want to do it. But it's just takes you through my process of thinking big and whittling down that big picture into what you can do in the next 90 days and then what you can do in the next three weeks and then what you can do this week and then what you can do today. And that's the process that I just repeat over and over and over again in my own life as do a lot of other people. So you get to go have that for free. You're welcome. And I'm super excited to hear what you think. All right. Rachel Martin. I'm going to give you a little of the official background to her. So I met Rachel a couple years ago, maybe even five years ago in New Orleans at a blogging conference, very out of context as to what we're talking about today. She I learned so much from her. She's very smart and she was teaching all about how to create a blog that gets seen and lots of little details and something in the middle of what she said, she alluded to motherhood and then she alluded to the fact that one of her seven kids, yes, she does have seven, um, had celiac and I just latched onto that idea that there was somebody else with a kid with celiac. And so I Googled her and I just got totally sucked into this world of Rachel because she's an amazing writer and she's so generous with what she shares about her own life and it's really inspirational. So let me read her official bio. Rachel believes in the power of the human spirit to overcome, to thrive, and to find deep joy. And because of that, she pours out her heart via her platforms. She is the writer behind the site FindingJoy.net, the author of The Brave Art of Motherhood, her book, and her articles have been translated into over 25 languages. Her site reaches millions of visitors per month, and she has a robust, engaged Facebook community. And all those different things will be linked up in the show notes, okay? Her content has been featured in the Huffington Post, iVillage, The Today Show, Star Tribune, Pop Sugar, Motherly, Parents, What to Expect, NBC Parents, Dr. Green, and many more. She speaks worldwide, encouraging moms and entrepreneurs to live each day with purpose and drive. Beyond that, she's a single mom to seven and calls Nashville, Tennessee her home. So without further ado, let's get Rachel on the show. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Well, hello. I'm super excited to be here today. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you here. So I'm really just, I, I'm, we're in this sort of parenting chat over here. And so I'm so glad to have you here um, just to talk about your experience. And you just have so much wisdom around this topic that really feels firsthand. We've had a number of people who do this for, for um, you know, a living. <laughs> so they're guiding other mothers. And I love that your story is so raw and real and we have such a way to relate to it. Well, thank you. I I would think now after being a mom for, it's almost 23 years. I, I'd like to think that I'm moving slowly into the wisdom category, <laughs> but my mom seems to have so much more wisdom. So maybe oh one day I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> All right. So your book is called The Brave Art of Motherhood. So let's let's dive into that a little. I feel like anyone, you know, I have three kids, but tell everybody how many kids you have. 
Okay, so I have seven kids. Oh my gosh. Uh, they range, they're eight. Everyone always asks the next question, how old? And then they want to know. So I have seven kids from nine to 23, or almost 23, yep. four boys. That's the youngest crew, and the oldest ones are all girls. So it's like, in some ways, this duality in parenting, getting through one, and then all of a sudden, right now, it's crazy in my house. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's four boys. Like, yeah, is, four it, boys. Is, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, we have new rules. Like you can only jump from step five down to the ground, or if you're going to slide <laughs> down on cardboard, you can start at this step, but please move things at the bottom. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. All right. So let's dive in a little bit to what, tell us a little bit about the title of the book and why you okay. called it the Art of Motherhood. Well, it's called The Brave Art of Motherhood. And um, the reason that is, uh, you know, I love the word brave. I, without even realizing it, I had been writing on my website about being a brave mother for about six years. So then it was just this like natural kind of following of what I, what my heart was. And then the art part is, is if you, I always give the example of those like paint and sip classes that people go to where there's like an instructor in the front and everybody's supposed to be painting this one painting and everybody has their canvas, but you're going through it. And sometimes you're really, one part's great and your friends isn't as great. And it's kind of this back and forth. And at the end, everybody's painting looks different, but nobody's is like the perfect painting. And that to me is motherhood. It's these stories that we all get to, we all get to paint. We all get to be a part of, and we don't have to be thinking they all have to look the same everybody's can be this different story. And our bravery is shown in those moments, maybe when we're like, oh, I just don't know if I can do it. And then our friend looks and was like, that part is spectacular. So that's where the title went, is this kind of camaraderie and community that we're all trying our best, being brave, and we're all living this motherhood story. I love that. Oh my gosh. So this wasn't going to be my next question, but now it is because you've already alluded to it in there. So you you just said the painting and and during it you know it doesn't look the same as we're making it we're sort of looking over our shoulders to see the person next to us so it's it's clear I, I feel like it's so easy to see how at the end we've all done such a great job and we can just see that by looking at those people who've raised us and our friends right we see where right. they end up but when we're in it it's so easy to look at the person next to us or you know right. the mom of the kid in the class you know our kids class and just be so mean to ourselves. Oh, it is that. It's that internal dialogue of like, why am I not doing it as well as they are? And missing the real beauty of what we do. And I remember being in, in a class like that with my best friend, Maria, who's in the book and looking over and we were painting this like mountain. I mean, it's like as generic as it could be a mountain scene with water and, yeah. a, and a, the moon and this, everything setting. And I remember thinking her moon is so awesome. How come I can't do mine like hers? And then at the end, she's like, I really like how you did your pine trees. So it was this like beautiful awakening that just because somebody else's whatever story has beautiful parts, it doesn't negate the beauty of our own. I love that. And okay, so now let's dive a little bit deeper. So one of the thing, one of the main things I think that's so beautiful in your book is the concept of coming out of hiding and really being who we truly are. So can we dive into that a little bit? I would love to. <laughs> I would love to. I, I, I was a professional hider. That's what I, I will tell people all the time. Um, I guess the hiding is, especially in a social media world, I think that for most of history, women couldn't hide. I mean, we just, 
we just had to survive. And then now all of a sudden we're in this place where we have to absolutely live out um, where everybody sees us, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I remember having my van caught on fire two years ago, which is like this horrible experience. And all these people were live streaming it at the same time. So it was like, all of a sudden I couldn't hide, but I, but we still do. And for me, the hiding was not letting people really know what was going on behind the, behind the scenes, because I was afraid I wouldn't look like everybody else or they wouldn't like me or all, or that I felt shame. I mean, I had really difficult financial issues and I had attached such a thick layer of shame that it almost denied me from truth. It denied me from friendship, from responsibility, from doing different things. So part of my quest as a writer and as a friend to moms is to be like, you know, the realer we are with each other, the more freedom we have. I love that. And I feel like the more freedom our kids have to become who they're meant to be. Oh, absolutely. Right? Because I mean, probably for all time as moms, we've tried to act that perfect role for our kids. I, I and, think so. And I think that there's places where we have to be, you know, we have yeah. to rise up. We have to like, someone asked me like, well, can you, about dropping the mask, you know, dropping that hiding. And I said, there's times where you have to like wear it. You have to be strong. And I gave the example of, it was Katy Perry. There was a documentary about her where she was performing at this giant stadium and moments before she was supposed to go up this crazy elevator with fireworks going off and singing, her boyfriend breaks up with her. So in the documentary, you see her distraught and really broken down. And 30 seconds later, you see her as, you know, Katy Perry roaring or whatever. And there are moments where we have to kind of pull it all together. But the real part comes in the moments where I can talk to you or a friend and say, listen, there's parts of me that really struggle. This is the real me behind that part that you see. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's true. And I feel like those big things are, you know, health crises with our kids, you know, like we gotta, we have to be strong so that they can be strong because fear doesn't do any good for them. And, you know, those situations, I can totally see that. And, but it's interesting because with the money thing, how have you, how have you re like reflected that back with your kids, like in hindsight, you know? So I know that during it, you were trying to be so strong. Well, you know, what's funny is I thought I hid everything from them. You know, I thought I did a really good job, right? But my oldest kids, they have very clear memories of talking in their bedroom saying, we got invited to this birthday party, but I don't know if I should bring it up to mom. Mm. So despite my working to maintain it, no matter what it is, there were still cracks in the facade internally. And so they knew it. And my oldest ones, I have to work with them a lot about breaking free from kind of a scarcity paradigm with money. Like it's okay to spend money. And because they existed in that for so long and the flip side with my younger kids, they just think, Hey, could you just go get me an iTunes gift card? Which because there isn't that scarcity that I had with money, they've got the opposite where they they're growing up in a world where there is more abundance. So it's like, it's a duality, like in teaching both sides how to see see their see money and change that relationship with it. Interesting. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And the ones in the middle, which is really intriguing, is my young my son Caleb, he's right in the middle. He's 13. He experienced both. Very mm-hmm. he's got very clear memories of both sides of it. And he's got this 
almost in some ways the healthiest relationship with finances because at 13, he understands not having money and he understands having it. And he just has this synergy with both. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. And I feel like, so I feel like then it becomes that if, if we're sort of somewhere in the middle, you know, and, 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 you know, not living in total poverty and maybe not, you know, right. rolling in riches, it's sort of like, how do we, how do we communicate that, you know, how do we communicate it without making them feel in scarcity and without making them feel like they can, you know, right. get, in a way that they wouldn't get in trouble later, like be real. Right. And, and that's, that is the thing where I tell my kids all the time, just, I, I mean, all the time I tell them, please just be honest with me. The worst, yeah. you know, you, you, the worst thing is if you're not honest and then I have to come back and we have to have a conversation because I've, I've lost that like trust part with you. So, and I always tell them the boy who cried wolf story over and over, but you know, there is, I think almost inherent in kids, this fear of being honest because they don't want to get in trouble. And so that, that lesson of like, listen, the more honest you are, we can work together and I'm not going to leave you because you made a mistake. A mistake is just part of, of growing up. We're going to work to fix it, but just come to me honest the first time and, and then it's a lot easier. Well, and then, so then that brings us back to this idea of really walking your walk because everything you just said is exactly what you've done, right? So <laughs> one of the quotes that I love in your book is to live openly and proud of the entire you. And I think you tell that, you say that after the story of the garage. And it's just like, we, you know, why don't you tell that story? Oh, well, my garage, I, so I used to live in Minneapolis and I, despite not having money, had this garage that was full of things, which I actually believe is a classic suburbia issue is yep. we think we're going to throw something in the garage. We're going to throw something in the garage. And even in my neighborhood here in Nashville, everyone's car is parked outside because the garage is storage. <laughs> so, you know... So, but my, my, my garage there was almost always perpetually full and it wasn't, it was people would donate stuff and give it to me or you, something would kind of, you'd go through the cycle of it and I'd put it in the garage because getting rid of stuff isn't always free. That was the interesting part where people would say, well, just get rid of it. The dump in Minneapolis there, it costs money. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of store up stuff thinking I would sell it. Well, after a while, the garage, like, I didn't want the neighbors to see it because I convinced myself that I was the only neighbor that had a garage that was super full. And so I would, I told this story about how the kids would want their bikes out. And we had it timed where one of them would be pushing the garage door open. I'd be like, okay, 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 stop. And then I'd duck under and pull them out. (laughs) I didn't want them to see it. Like, and then, you know, I'd make sure the coast was clear with the neighbors and park my Suburban as close as I could. And Finally, when everything, all the plates crashed in my life and was going to move and I just wanted to get rid of things. I I was doing the Marie Kondo, the Kanmari, and I knew I couldn't hold on to anything, all this stuff. I just had to decide to open the garage. To clean it out, you have to open it. You can't like clean it out with it three feet open and ducking in and out. You have to decide it doesn't matter. And the beautiful part was my next door neighbor, he wasn't like, who do you think you are? He came over with his truck and said, what can I load up with you and bring it to the, bring it to the dump? So it was more my own fears of what they would say versus them being like, hey, I'm here for you. What can we do? I love that. And I feel like that is 
in so many stories, right? It's just like, we have to put it out there. And then people come to our rescue, we find our tribe, and we realize that we don't live in this island. There's so many things that we have in common that we're all doing. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and that that live openly proud of you part too, is I've been divorced now for almost seven years. And in the beginning, I had a hard time reconciling my story. Or when I would go to the doctor's office, and they'd have you I think I actually even wrote this, like where you have to fill out the form at the dentist and they would be like marital status. And I'd be like, seriously, does that control how you look at my tartar on my teeth? Like, what's this all about? But, you know, I had a hard time checking that box. And now I've come to the place of realizing that if I don't own that part of the story, it's like I'm denying those 17 years of my life where that with my children and all of that. So I've decided instead to be okay with my story because this is this is the life I get to live. And so I'm I'm proud of those years and I'm proud of these years now. I love it. Um and I and I, I love that I just feel like it's so apparent when we reflect back on our story or anyone's stories that we read or you know that we encounter that everything happens for such a specific reason. And you couldn't, you know, we can never get to where we are now without what we had. And if we can remember that when we're in the middle of the messy parts, it's so empowering. I, I hard. totally, totally hard, agree. Empowering. It, it is hard. You know, going back to that, like, um, hiding part. So, you know, my finances were a huge part where I hid. And then last fall, I was on the Today Show talking about finances. So it was like this, this, complete full circle where I hid it from everybody. And then when I get to be on national TV, here I am talking about my finances and what I did to reclaim my life. Well, there's this picture and I, and I was okay with it. Like that was the cool part. I felt like no shame. So there was this picture that was taken that was in front of when you go there, they always say today is, and then they give the date in big letters above the set. And my agent said, take a picture, Rachel, because you can see the date behind you. And I have this picture and to everybody else, it would seem like this is the pinnacle moment. Look at her. She's right there. She's on the Today Show. It's the date. And I wrote an Instagram post and a blog post about it because the date was November 9th, 2018, which is my son's birthday, which is the son that decided three months prior to that or four months that he wasn't going to live with me anymore and lives in in Minneapolis, a thousand miles from me. And so it was this dichotomy of the the peak moment, this moment that from the outside, everyone would think she's got it together. But behind that picture, there was this grief, this ache, this realizing when I took that picture, like it's his birthday. And I wrote about that, like you can't always judge that kind of picture by what you see. Like, there's something behind it, and it really it inspired that a quote of mine that's gone really viral. That's uh, sometimes you have to let go of the picture of what you thought life would be like and learn to find joy in the story you're actually living. And I wrote that the very day I said, you know what, you can stay in Minneapolis. That's the best thing for you, even though like my mom heart's like, no way, I can't do this. So uh, that's why I really want to be open. I want to share, like, hey. These are there's good and there's bad, and we can all like work together and celebrate the stories in that way. And it's and and we're all always evolving in different ways. Like I can relate so much to your 
like every part of that story in different ways, right? So like my story was about food and there were so many times in my life where I was hiding behind an eating disorder and then hiding behind the fact that I had three kids and I had no idea how to make anything besides box macaroni and cheese, you know, and then I get (laughs) plummeted like you did into this like celiac world where I was like, what do I, you know, like I need to learn this, you know, on this whole health journey. So then all of a sudden now I have, you know, this best-selling cookbook and it just doesn't even seem like, possible, but it was this journey, you know, it's just, it's, and the funny thing is, is if you ask me, like people think that I must be like Martha Stewart, but the real truth is I hate to cook. I just do it because it makes me feel good. Like I know that I can feel good through food and I know that it can really save my daughter. Right. So there's reasons that we show up to these things and then they just become habits and part of our life. But there's always like, there's always that next level of the onion. That is so true. And you know, it's interesting is I instantly have that relation, that kind of like moment of tearing up when you said, I know that I cook because I can save my daughter. Because you know, I, I, yeah, I think you know, my son Samuel has celiac disease. Yeah. And so with him, because people will always say to me, well, how, how can you do that? How can you not eat gluten? And it's so instant because I'm saving my son. Like there's yeah. no, there's no debate about it. I, I, I'm, I mean, I was the same way prior to that. And I'd heard about gluten free, but cooking gluten free, making my life that way, it was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know I had the capability of within. And, and now I can navigate Target pretty well and know yeah. exactly <laughs> what I can buy. <laughs> yeah, and and then you find the blessings, right? Like we, we both have more than just that one kid, and you know, right. You know, in our life, I just feel like our house is healthier. I'm more aware. You know, it's just like you you find the blessings and all these things that do not feel like blessings when they first happen in any way, shape, or form. No, not fiscally. I mean, I remember yeah. that too. Like back before gluten free was, I would say, trendy and whatever it is now. I remember buying bread that it was eight dollars and it was bad. It was so bad, and I would tell moms like. If your bread can hold open the door, just don't buy it because they just so <laughs> dense and heavy. <laughs> so yeah, blessings now for sure. And you know, in you know, cool blessing, they actually think that um, I was the one. I probably have celiac or I have mm-hmm. a real gluten issue. And when Sam went gluten free, I went gluten free, and my allergies that were debilitating went away. That's the exact same story and, as mine. Yeah. yeah. So same exact story. Like, you know, I'd been fighting them for eight years and nobody could, f- could fix the allergies. I'm on all these pills. My eyes are swelling shut. And then six weeks later, I'm like, wow, I have no spring allergies. I have the exact same story. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. So now back to my first question. Okay. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> my first question. No, it's all good. I love it. But I just, <laughs> just thought I was going to um, start with the topic of time just because that's what I, I think a lot about these days. It's time. I am so excited to announce that applications are officially open for Flow 365. This is a way that you can increase your productivity without decreasing your joy this year. In fact, I would say increasing your joy. Flow 365 is a high-end year-long program that helps entrepreneurial moms make time and space for clean food, joyful home lives, and meaningful practices alongside your work, of course. The next cohort starts in April, space is limited, and I have carefully curated an application to make sure we will make a great team and you will get great results. 
applications will be considered on a first come first serve basis. So hop on over to plansimple.com slash flow hyphen 365 and see if it feels like a good fit for you. And then we will hop on the phone and get planning. I'm super excited to see who ends up in this cohort. So let's talk a little bit about that and just this passage of time called motherhood <laughs> right? that can get some of us um, feeling like, you know, we are serving everybody but ourselves. And I don't even know that we, I feel like we don't even know that we know that. I, I mean, I feel like the first time that I realized what was happening in the greater world, and I do feel like I have the blessing that I always had something else. Right. Um, but that's not to say I didn't feel bad about it. I, I actually always did feel kind of bad about it, but I always knew I had these, I had these little glimpses in early motherhood. Cause you know, my kids are, I have three and they're all sort of within five years. And I remember having moments of like getting rid of the babysitter and being like, I could stay home and do this. And then being like, no, I can't. Who am I being fooling? I need to go to work. Like I love designing things. Like I need to do that if I'm going to show up whole at home and just this back and forth. And then I remember moments at school, like feeling bad that I couldn't do what the stay at home moms were doing, you know? So I just feel like we're so hard on ourselves and, and it's so easy to lose who we are in motherhood and, you know, being a wife and all the things that we take on in this phase. I think it's really, really easy to lose ourselves without knowing that we've lost ourselves. And yeah. part of it is, you know, when your kids are young, when your kids were all under five, I always tell moms, your only, our only real goal is to keep them alive. Like, yeah. you know, and you're survive, chasing them. Right? <laughs> exactly. Like no other time in history, like my teenager knows not to touch the stove. A two-year-old does not know, don't put your hand on the stove. Don't go by yeah. the stairs. You're constantly aware. And so it's so much energy and time spent in almost hurting little people into safe spaces like okay stay in here try to do that and you and and it's not that it's bad it's just that that's the season that if you're yeah. when you have young ones at that point that's the season you're in and then i think what happens is for a lot of us the youngest one gets older or something happens in our life and we have this thing called space a little bit of time where you can sit down and you can go you know what they're playing and they'll be okay, you can clean things. And in that space, to me, there came this uncomfortableness, like, I don't know what I should do. Like, I don't know what I should do. And then because there's space and culture has changed and you go on Pinterest and there's 108 easy crafts to do with your toddler, or your preschooler, I think we believe we have to do all of that in our free time versus understanding, again, going back to how people and women have existed for most of the time, is that it's good to interact and play, but it's not a necessity all day long. And yeah. this breath of like, you know, being a good mom means that it's a mix of all of it. It's not just finishing the 108 Pinterest crafts in the next week or whatever it is. <laughs> it's being like, you know what, today I'm going to run. I'm going to go outside and maybe I'm going to run with you walking by me, but I'm going to actually cultivate space back in my life because I tell people all the time, if your gas tank is on empty, there is no way you're going to think, I'm just going to push it for the next 50 miles. No big deal. We're just going to try when you know you've got two miles left. We know the cause and effect. And yet with our own self, we're like, you know, I'm just going to push it. I'm going to push it and push it and push it. And then we hit burnout and we're like, well, how did that happen? It's because we're ignoring what's right there in our face. So my big mission is like, 
take time for yourself. We wouldn't tell our kids, nah, don't ever rest. Don't take time for yourself. We're like, go to bed, get a good night's sleep, take care of yourself. And in fact, we go out of our way all day long, right? To help them find for themselves. But just like you said earlier, that they're always watching. I do believe that when we're not doing anything for ourselves, they're also watching and learning, you know, and that will come back to them later when they're like, oh, what am I supposed to be as an adult? (laughs) You know, and and they've watched us not take care of ourselves. Well, and I think they they not only watch, but they see like the things that we love kind of get pushed away, paid for 12 years of piano lessons. And then, you know, like as an adult for like my kids love to hear me play the piano and I am not cleaning I'm not parenting and I'm not working. I'm just playing the piano. But almost every single time, one of my kids will come by and say, I just love it when you play the piano. And I realized it's probably, they like the music, they've grown up with it, but they also see me in a space where I'm cultivating me. They see me in a different light than they see me as, hey, do your homework, get up, what about this? They see that part of me. Yeah, and then they believe that they too can have that someday, right? Because, you know, what kid is going to look at a stressed out parent and be like, I want that. <laughs> you yeah. know, instead they're going to be like, I wish I'm always a kid. Exactly. Well, my, my yeah, daughter, oh, I was going to say my, my almost 18 year old daughter, sometimes she sa- she'll say to me, mom, you just don't have a lot of patience. <laughs> I mean, and she's, and I used to bristle at it, but she's actually right. So she's pointed out, she means it in a kind way. She means it like, if, we, if I go to the store to go shopping with her, she knows I'll be like, come on, let's keep going. Because I'm always aware of the passage of time because I'm, I'm a person that it's harder to get kind of stuck in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to keep moving. What's the next thing on the list? And I've had to almost train myself sometimes with motherhood to go, I'm just going to be in this moment for X amount of time. Because yeah. if I just say I'm going to be in this moment indefinitely, I'm terribly uncomfortable. But if I could set the timer to tell myself, I'm just going to be in the moment. And it seems like a dichotomy, but it's the only way I can allow that part of me to flourish. No. And it's, it's so true. I mean, I've watched it just in my coaching programs because I make everyone just literally time block their entire day. And everyone's like, but I thought you were all about self-care and downtime. And I'm like, I am. That's why you have to protect that hour so that from three to four, you're committed to just chilling at home with your kids. And you know that that hour is protected and that you can't say yes to a play date because we just try to like keep filling stuff and we drive more than we have to. We pay more money for extracurriculars than we have to. Like we just do so much. And it's those moments when you're playing the piano, which could only happen in that hour after school where everyone's just chilling that they remember. I agree. I agree. They see that kind of that space. Like since we moved to Tennessee, one of the things we do a lot is go hiking. And I love that because it's almost because I like it, but I'm also teaching my kids this space of just being in the moment, being outside, being unplugged. And a lot of times I'll have to train myself, like, I don't need a picture of this. Like, <laughs> we don't need a picture of this waterfall. Like, I just don't need it. My, I love that. My grandparents had, like, a photo album, one photo album for practically 20 years <laughs> or something. And 
We just don't need it. And I remember watching, it was the tidying up show with Marie Kondo. Uh, that show is so good. <laughs> it is. It makes me cry every time too, because I'm super emotional. But I remember her talking about photos. Like, and I'm, I'm the worst at that. She's like, if the photo, you don't like it, just get rid of it. And I thought, why am I hanging on to all this stuff? Because just like we uh, transfer kind of passions to our kids, we're also transferring stuff. And I've just had to let go of it. Or my oldest daughters, I've told them like, here, I've saved this stuff from your childhood, but just because I've saved it doesn't need, mean that you need to save it. You can look at it, decide, okay, that's cool. And you can get rid of it. Like I want to pass on that freedom of letting go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I've watched that. I've <laughs> recently watched that with my parents and just the stuff that they've saved of ours and it's interesting that sometimes our kids can teach us what we need to learn. But my youngest, you know, who's gotten a lot of like hand-me-down everything, because right. she's the youngest, um, and she's 10. And that's earlier than my other kids sort of stopped, you know, playing with all their toys. Right. But she decided this summer that, you know, she was done and she really wanted an art studio. <laughs> oh, I and love she was that. like, can you help me sell all my dolls? Cause I really just want plants and an art studio. And I was like, sure. Like how free, you know, and the, but then there's this moment of, wait, you're going to sell your dolls. Well, like, what if you want them? Exactly. But it's like, no, somebody else can enjoy them and it's fine. And you can have your beanbag and your paintbrushes and you know, we can it, get the dolls if we need to. <laughs> It's very true. I shared the story of my girls. They always were gifted those American Girl dolls. Mm -hmm. I mean, the American Girl doll dresses were more expensive than clothing that I own. So first right. of all, you know, and so I would just see it like they're going to cherish these for their own kids. So I hauled them from Minneapolis to Nashville <laughs> in this truck and I get here and I'm going through things and I finally I messaged them. They're like, yeah, you can get rid of them. We don't really care. And I'm like, what? How can you not care about those? I know. Like, they were important to me in a way that they weren't to them. And that's okay. Yeah. No, it's so amazing. Actually, that's why I love, we've mentioned Marie Kondo like five times. We did do an episode on her like a couple episodes about ago. So everyone can go back and listen to that. But that is why I actually really do love her work because it really is about that detachment and finding joy and, and right now and then letting go right. of the stuff. Like the stuff is not joy. Yeah. And um, I like it too, because it doesn't mean that I have to live in a room with one thing. Yes. It's like actually living in a space that makes me happy. And yes. that's what I've been trying to teach my kids just in general in life is that if this doesn't, you know, let's work hard at it, but really cultivate spaces for yourself that make you happy. And, you know, a lot of women will say to me, well, I should figure out what I, I should know what my dream is. I, I should know what makes me happy. And they have this like crisis moment of, I don't know what I like. I don't know how to do spend my free time. And I tell them like, when, we, when our kids are 10, we're like, just figure out what you want to do. Just figure it out. Just try things. And then we don't expect them when they're 20 to, to go and rely on what they figured out when we're 10. But somehow I think that we reach, I'm 44, we reach that age and I'm thinking, you know, just because I knew what I loved at 30 doesn't mean it has to be what I love at 44. And there's this freedom in approaching life with the same way I do my kids. Like, you know what? Maybe I will try that kickboxing class, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. I love that. That was actually my next question for you. So I love that you answered it without oh, me asking. Because I do find a lot of times, um, you know, the idea of self-care and the idea of finding your passion sounds really good. And then, and then we get stuck and it's almost like, so it's, 
how, how, how to give ourselves permission almost that we can go on this exploration um, and that we can change what we love, you know, and, and I feel like, I, you know, I can, I say it all day long, but I meet people all the time who there, it feels really hard in that moment. And it's, it feels so much easier to go do whatever they need to do for their kids. It, I, I believe that. I mean, I believe it. I think in the space of uncomfortable, we don't know what we want to do. And it go, to me, it goes back to that time. We have, I mean, it's a huge blessing, giant blessing that we're, the, the time we live in history. But we also yeah. have this space of time. We have these moments where we're like, hmm, I don't know what I want to do today. What should we do? Or spaces that like that, just kind of extra freedom. Um, and, you know, there's moments in life where we don't have it, but in general, we have that. And in that space, because we live a life where we almost preach comfortable, figure out what you want to do, plan your day, all of that, that when we don't know what's comfortable, when it's that risky space of, I'm going to try something new, it's easy to just go back to the familiar and not step into the spaces that are as risky but my kids, like, so I have this quote that I love, the Eleanor Roosevelt, do one thing every day that scares you. Mm, I love that quote. I love that quote. Well, then my son, Samuel, who's nine, says, you know, mom, you also have a quote that says, do one thing every day that makes you happy. Mm. And I thought, huh, he's right. And they're right by each other. How did I not know that when I decorated? But <laughs> I realized there's actually, they're linked, is oftentimes on the other side of what scares us is the very thing that makes us happy. And to me, I, I tell that to my kids all the time, like, you know, just because you're afraid of trying something new doesn't mean it might not be the most great, the greatest thing for you. And I tell them, it, but in order to figure that out, if you love it or not, is you have to push through the part where you're scared. Yeah. Okay. So do you have any strategies for that? Pushing through where they're scared? Mm-hmm. And maybe, um, and maybe a, a mom listening, you know, like, so I, I find this happens a lot. I find fifth grade for whatever reason is a big thing. And I don't know if it's because our kids are pushing back a little, but I notice there's a lot of like, it, you know, they're, they're, they need us less. And so mm-hmm. I, I notice there's discomfort in parents and that, that like entering right. middle school grade. And then obviously as kids are going off to college, like I see that, you know, there's this moat, like there's an opportunity and the opportunity is almost more scary than that, that reward, that joy reward that might be on the other side of it. I, 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 well, first of all, I always say, don't run from the emotion. Like a lot of us shut down that part. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't feel scared or I shouldn't like, and I always say, you have to allow yourself to experience the emotion. If you're feeling that that's a legitimate part of you, it doesn't need to define what you do next. But the strategies that I have, which I'm probably guessing are what you tell people all the time is my fifth grader, let's go back to that. I have a fifth grader right now. And because he's in that pushback stage, I know that I need to hold him accountable too. So mm-hmm. he loves to run. And I signed him up for running club at school. Well, he's like, well, I don't really want to do it. But I know that the reward at the end, once he goes, he loves it. So my strategies for myself and for many are to have that level of accountability. Like if I don't have a goal date or I don't have a friend that's like, Hey, did you do your whatever today? It's easier for me to kind of give up on myself, quit. Eh, not going to do it today. But the power in setting a date for me is that date's going to come no matter what. If I mean, if I'm blessed to live, let's just say it's June 6th, that date, June 6th is going to come. And if I have a goal, 
I'm going to get to that date where I decide where I can look back and go, wow, I did try. I moved for it or I did nothing. And I would rather get to that date thinking, you know what? I did try. I learned or I accomplished what it is. So there's that. And then for me, the other strategy is the goal is having an accountability person and then celebrating the micro goals. I think the June 6th date is great. But every single day that we do one thing, moving forward to it is a micro goal. And it's really, really easy to think, you know, like if we go back to the running analogy, wow, I was going to run two miles, but I only ran a half a mile and walked. Well, I want to say, you know what, you ran a half a mile. (laughs) And it's celebrating that, putting that on the calendar as a reminder, because it's really easy in motherhood or whatever it is to see what we don't do right and to miss what we do um, or to see what we do wrong and to miss what we do right. So do you like, remember a point in your story when that was not as easy to do? Because I find that's a hard thing for us as women, for whatever reason, is to celebrate those little things. Like we, it's so true. We're so much quicker to be hard on ourselves than to just give ourselves credit, you know. And, and we do such amazing things <laughs> on a daily basis. There, yes, definitely. My first answer, which I always pay attention to that, like, because sometimes the first thing that we think is really the truth. And then we try to like fix it because yeah. I don't really like that. So definitely. And my reason for it was pride. And I will fully admit it because when my life was really a struggle and a mess, I always wanted people to take notice, but I didn't want them to know, right? It was that kind of thing. Like, and so to celebrate the micro goals meant that I, It was like this part of pride where I didn't want to really admit like I was changing because I was afraid that people would forget about me. Like Mm -hmm. it was this process of uh, that maybe they wouldn't show up, they wouldn't need me, I'd be lost. And I, I had associated for so many years being in the one position that this is how my friendships work, that it was scary to start celebrating new things because, well, it was just pride. Like, I am capable. And then the more I would push at it, the more the more I realized I had responsibility, I had to take care of it. And so it was this scary place of like admitting change, which seems antithetical to change. You know, we all want to change, but sometimes when you're in the midst of it, like when something is new and like let's say you're like water skiing. I don't know if you've ever water skied, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> the first time that you get up, like it takes a lot to get up, which I think is the analogy of change. Like it mm-hmm. takes a great deal of effort to actually figure out how to stand up on the skis. But the first time that you get up, when you're being pulled behind the boat, it's terrifying. And it's really easy to like, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how you're going to do it. And you just want to let go. And I remember falling and my dad's like, Rachel, you went 90 feet. That was awesome. And so I really think in those moments of first change, you have to be okay with being terrified of being in a space that you feel like you don't have a lot of control, but you're going to work on one thing that you can control. And, and then maybe the next time you get a little farther and that's the kind of part about celebrating and being okay with nobody knows even like, a lot of honor and integrity and kindness happens in the shadows. Nobody ever knows. And you have to be okay with that's who you are inside. I love that. That was a good answer. Thank you. It was a long answer. I don't know how I got into my young childhood. It's there. It's just an analogy for life. All right. So tell, I have one more question, but tell everyone how they can find you because you have this amazing book filled with 
most inspirational stories um, that I think everyone should read. Well, thank you. So you, my book is The Brave Art of Motherhood, and uh, it's available on Amazon and all the regular bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Um, and my website that I write is findingjoy.net, and our Facebook page is Finding Joy Blog. And it's a community of women that goes back to the beginning of the brave art of where we really celebrate. We celebrate each other's stories. It's not a competition. It's all about us. Like There's empathy, but then there's that, like, I believe in you. What can you do today to change your tomorrow? I love that. I mean, you know what? I think we should give away a book. So I'm going to give away a book. So Woo-hoo. check, find this episode on Instagram and we will figure out a way to give away a book. So All right. We'll throw yeah. in a book too. So we'll do two All right. books. There All right. Go. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So that's happening when this goes live. So we'll figure, you guys go check out the Instagram and we'll, we'll figure out the rules and you can look over there. Just look for <laughs> Rachel's beautiful headshot somewhere on a, on a, probably on a, on a iPhone. Okay. So any parting advice, like tell us, like, is there, is there anything that you want all, I mean, everyone listening usually is a mom to this podcast. Um, any words of wisdom that you feel that you want to impart on us before we have this? First of all, you're totally enough. It's been my platform for a long time. And, Mm. uh, there's another proverb quote that I love that says fall seven times, stand up eight. And I really believe that's motherhood. And a lot of times we think, oh, I fell down, but we miss all the times that we stand up. So it's grace for the times that we fall. Like we give our kids beautiful grace. Like, hey, guys, you did great. You tried. And I just want all of us, everybody that's listening to think, you know what? Hey, I did great. I tried. And then to recognize the power and bravery it takes to stand up and do it again and again. I love that. And it's so true. I just feel like if we treat ourselves like we would treat our fifth grader, we'd be good. I think you put a story about math or something in the book and that we would never tell our kid, like, you did really bad on that homework. You know, we would never do that. We would never do that. So we can just start to self-talk ourselves the same way we would talk out loud to our kids. We'll be in good shape. Yeah, most and of the I, time, except for the times, you know, when they're jumping from step nine down. Exactly. Know. And then you end up with a broken leg in the hospital. But anyway, you know, we have all sorts of all sorts of hats we have to wear. Well, thank yep. you so much for being here today, Rachel. Oh, it was super fun. And it went so fast because it was I know. a conversation, which means we should do another. We'll okay, to- sounds good. I would, oh my God, I would talk to you for hours and days. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Now we are on to the doable changes part of our episode. And this this is where we choose three doable changes so you can take what you've heard from Rachel and put it into action because action is where real change happens. It's where happiness is found. So in every episode, I do dish out three doable changes, but I always recommend that you choose the one, the one change that really resonates with you and that you focus on that thing for this week. You put it into your calendar, you plan for it, you plan around it, and you make it happen in a way that really works for you. And then next week, you do the same thing with a different doable change. And you get to watch how these things add up over the course of a year and really make this amazing lifestyle that you can call 
your own. Now, if these three doable changes don't resonate with you, we have lots of resources over on the website. You can, in the show notes, find our 101 doable changes that have to do with health and wellness, or on any of the tabs at the top of the website, which is food, lifestyle, home, and work, you can select the doable changes from that category and get going on your next right thing. But these ones from Rachel are good. And number one is this, celebrate micro goals, set goals with dates and get an accountability partner to help you stay the course. And instead of just focusing on that big goal, really take time to celebrate the micro goals, the little things that are getting you toward that big goal. It's kind of like these doable changes, right? Little things that you do each day or the step towards your larger goal are really important to celebrate because too often we focus on where we have not gotten instead of all the amazing little things we have done. Do you resonate with that? I hear so many of us moms complaining about how we're not quite where we want to be, but I know you've done things. So celebrate those little things. Number two, be in the moment. We are so often focused on something other than now. It might be the next thing we need to do or trying to get ahead of whatever task we're on or getting out of an uncomfortable moment. So instead, practice being in the moment. Sit with that uncomfortable feeling. Enjoy something, a moment with your kids without taking a picture. Set a timer and just be where you are. Okay, number three, do one thing that makes you happy. Rachel shared an Eleanor Roosevelt quote that we both love. Do something every day that scares you. But her son pointed out that one of her own sayings was to do something every day that makes you happy. And she reminded us of this. So grab your journal, maybe set a timer, and just make a list of things that make you happy. And then from that list, do one thing today that makes you happy. Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do that one thing and then tomorrow do the next thing. All right? You can get through that list. I know you can. Okay, those are our three doable changes from this episode. And I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast where we are going to migrate a little bit in topics and talk about body image, something that we all really can struggle with. And I've got some great guests on the show to talk with us about how we might be able to think different about our own bodies. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple podcast. If you loved what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give is to share the podcast with a friend. And if you really loved what you heard, if you want to go onto iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review, that really helps us get the best guests we can and improve the podcast so that we're serving up exactly what you want to hear. I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for now.